Amen and amen. If you have your Bible for a few moments, and are you going to be filling while we're doing this or somebody? Well, I got an extra hose for the hot water. And uh, if, if, uh, if you want to show, show Terry and Sean what to do, they can be filling. Amen. They said they can fill the tank in 20 minutes. I hope I can preach for at least 19 to fill the... You know about me, don't you? Okay. She's come a little while. She said, Lord, have mercy. Amen. Hallelujah. We just need a waist deep water because if we can get that far, we can do the rest of it. Praise the Lord. Psalm 85. How many want revival? How many feel a personal need for revival? It's not just something. You see, the easiest thing to do is sit back and say, we need revival. And, uh, when they had the revival in the Hesperides and they had the revival in Wales, those islands in, in, in near Ireland and Scotland, when God visited them because coal miners that worked 12 hours a day in manual labor deep in the mines began to fast and pray. They were that hungry for God. They began to fast and pray. You know how hard it is to fast if you're doing manual labor or even mental labor. It's difficult. But coal miners began to hunger for God. In fact, there, were, there was a family, two sisters in one area. They began to pray to the Lord to send His Spirit to revive us again. And the house they prayed in, I saw the documentary of it, and they did a drama. To, they dramatized what happened in that house as they were praying for that move of God and that move of the Spirit. The, they had a tea set sitting out and teacups on saucers, and the house began to shake. Not physically the house itself, the rafters, the, but the, there was a shaking, so much so, a spiritual moving in manifestation that the teacups begin to shake on the saucers and they were rattling the presence of God verifying uh, that he was responding to their prayer amen a, pr- a prayer for revival is nothing less than a prayer for God a manifestation of God's supernatural of God's spirit in our life to our life and through our life and it wasn't long until revival began to sweep the land and how do you know it was a revival because preachers came but the revival began as a result of prayer without a particular preacher There was no Billy Graham coming to hold a meeting where people heard the gospel and got saved. There was no Oral Roberts with great healings occurring under the gospel tent. No A.A. Allen. There was no one of that caliber to lead it. It was a God thing from beginning, and it was a God thing as it continued. And I was inspired. I said, Lord, you did this in answer to prayer? You did this in answer to prayer because people got tired of seeing the devil win. They got tired of seeing their loved ones stay bound. They got tired of just doing church with no manifestation of God and no answered prayer. And they begin to pray with a fervency and an earnestness until God moved. And when God began to move, it was an incredible thing. There was a constable in one of the communities. He was a, like an under-sheriff, and they called him a constable. He, everyone knew he was a godly man and a Christian man. There was no church going on. The Spirit of God fell 
down at bars were not just to go get drunk. It was meeting places. People went down to the pub, and uh, not everybody was a drunkard necessarily. You know about pubs in England. Everybody didn't go there to get drunk, and of course some of them did get drunk. But there was there was liquor served. You hung out there long enough. But it was a social thing. God's power began to come down in the pubs. People came out of the pubs and wanted to go to church and get in the presence of God. Just like, a, like what happened in, in, in J.C. Penney, my daughter-in-law, who we couldn't have drugged to church with a team of horses. Come on, you can't drag people into the kingdom if the Spirit of God isn't working on them. Amen? Come on, nobody could drag you somewhere. That woman can't be drugged nowhere. Amen? But if God gets a hold of her, she comes on her own. Hallelujah. And wants to follow Christ. People don't take up their cross because someone shoves it down on them. They take up their cross because they discover how wonderful God is. And how wonderful Jesus is. And they want to follow Him. Hallelujah. No matter what. And they deny themselves and take up their cross. And they don't do it with a long face. They do it with joy in their heart. Praise God. Amen. So... All these people, about 50 to 75 people gathered outside the office of this constable. And he walked out and said, you know, what's going on? They said, we want to come to Christ. (laughs) And he prayed with them. And 50 to 75 people came to Jesus because a constable, not a preacher, not an evangelist with gifts, no one coming with a big press, a bunch of things, you know, the so-and-so, God's man of faith and power is coming here. No, God came there and it became evident. A woman that had been praying for her son for years when the revival broke, she was on her way to the meeting house. There was a young man down in the ditch and he was making look like... And she said, she said, stop. And they stopped. And she, she, got, she ran down into the ditch because her son was a drunkard and he was a hopeless alcoholic. And many times he had, they had found him in the ditch unconscious from, from drinking so much that he couldn't stand up or keep conscious anymore. And she come down into the ditch. <laughs> she, she held a light to his face to see who it was. Because usually it was her son. And he was praying. He wasn't drunk. He wasn't passed out. But he was crying out to God and saying, Lord, forgive me. Lord, save me. Lord, deliver me from sin's power. And she says, ah, Ah, Johnny, have you come to Christ? And he said, yes, Mama, I've come to Christ. When prayer is answered, when God moves by His Spirit, amen, there are evidences of revival like we have never seen. You know, that's why I told my son who said, what can God do? Either one that gets in, I don't know what God can do about it, this election. And I said, you know what God can do about it? According to the New Testament, you know what God can do about it? He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we think or ask, according to the power that worketh in us. No matter the worketh where. If you think God holds revival in heaven, and we've got to get Him to turn it loose, you are wrong. You are dead wrong. 
He is able. And by the way, where it says able, it means faithful and able. It doesn't just mean he has ability. It means he's going to use it in your behalf. They that come to God got to believe that he's more than able. They got to believe he's willing. They got to believe he's ready. He's willing and he's able. Because if he isn't willing, there's no point in him being able. Can you say amen? But they that come to God must believe that He is, that He exists, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him out. Praise God. And He said, you will find me when you seek after me with a half-hearted religious routine. No, you will find me when you seek after me with all of your heart. Is he making it hard? No, he's making it easy to find him. Because if you do it with all of your heart, he said, you're going to find me. But if you're half-hearted, the world is going to get your attention every time. The world is going to sap up your prayer time. It's going to sap up your Bible study time. It's going to sap up your time of devotion where you sit in my presence. And, and as Sean did when he was going through the heat of a trial, just put on some songs of praise and worship and, and just focus on the goodness and the greatness of God and the grace of God. Hallelujah. To pull you through. The world wants all of that the world wants all of that and the world and you know what the devil would he will let you go as far as to confess god's able the fact that he has all power is an easy faith it don't listen if you believe in god at all you got to give him that you got to believe he's almighty that he has the power the fact that he's all-knowing omniscient not only omnipotent all-powerful, but omniscient. omniscient. He, he, is, he knows how to deliver the righteous. He knows how to straighten out this mess. Up in D.C. We don't know what he's going to do, but I'm going to tell you, I pray to a God who is able and willing and wants to send a revival and wants to move. Not only that, he's omnipresent. He's not only all-powerful and all-knowing. He's everywhere. God is a spirit. He's here. He's there. He can sit on His throne in heaven and sit on the throne of your heart simultaneously. He can hear every prayer that's prayed around the globe and distinguish yours from anybody else's. Of all the sheep He's got all over the world, He knows you by name. He knows the number of hair on your head. Nobody knows you that intimately, personally, and perfectly. But God does. And He can do it all simultaneously. So the fact that He's all-powerful, all-knowing, and with us means nothing if He isn't all-love and He will respond to your call. Amen? And if you're not rooted and grounded in love... And all you've, I remember a man came to our church years ago and his wife had a deliverance ministry, a powerful deliverance ministry. So what he had heard for most of his Christian life was how to get the devil out of people. But he hadn't heard about the love of God. And I was ministering on the love of God and he came up after the service and the tears were streaming. Because if you stay focused on the devil and you don't balance it, I remember Brother and Sister Hobbs used to be house 
they were kind of house parents to to uh, some youth people one time, and and there was something about. I remember they kept y'all up all night because they 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 want to know things about the devil. You give them scripture about the devil, and, and the thing was. All wasn't it all night? They couldn't hardly sleep because they got conscious of the devil. So if you're going to talk about the devil at all, you come on, they'll keep you up. Hey, if you stay focused on the devil, you won't get much sleep either. Can you say, man? If it, listen, I'm not saying to, to to let him off the hook and don't reveal him, but we can't we can't get back to that stage just after the 80s, early 90s, where everybody everything was about the devil. And we weren't hearing about Jesus in balance with it. Don't ever read the book of Revelation trying to find out who the Antichrist is primarily. Read the book of Revelation to understand who Jesus Christ is. Amen. There's victory for the church in the book of Revelation. I'm kind of like the guy that said, I got got started reading Revelation and it got so bleak and so bad, I turned the end of the book. I couldn't take it. I I had to skip over the middle of it and go right to the last chapter. And he said, guess what? In spite of everything the devil, everything the false prophet, and everything the Antichrist is doing, we win. Can you say, man? I couldn't wait. I just went to the end of the book and we win. Praise God. In spite of it all, we win. Because He is Lord to the glory of God. Hallelujah. So we need a balance. By the way, the book of Revelation doesn't start out with the revelation of the Antichrist. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ to St. John the Divine. And I heard a voice behind me that sounded like Niagara Falls in, in power. You been to Niagara? It's powerful, isn't it? He said, I heard a voice that sounded like many waters flowing. And I turned to see this voice that spake unto me. And I saw one whose hair was as wool, whose eyes were as a flame of fire. Everybody say, I'm not talking about Superman. It's not about x-ray vision. It's not about knowing your heart, although he does have all of that. Can you say, man, but this is not what that is about. The word, his eyes were a flame of fire, means fiery indignation. It means that the lamb, the lamb that was slain, is now coming to judge the earth. His hair was as wool. They, you don't see it here, but if you were in London and you went into to, to a, a courtroom, they would put on the white wigs. Why would they put on white wigs? Because they're all bald-headed. No, that's not why they did it. Amen. They put on the... They, that's not why they did it. They put on the white because it's a symbolic of wisdom. It's symbolic of someone who is qualified to judge. And they're wearing the white. Jesus had white hair. He had a golden girdle. He had a robe, a seamless robe down to his feet. His feet were as burnished brass. He had on a belt of solid gold. But his eyes were as a flame of fire. Amen. The Bible said before the bold judgments are poured out, before the, before the, the, the vials are poured out, before all of those judgments are poured out upon the earth, the Bible said the great men, the small men, the rich, the poor, everyone across the whole spectrum of humankind cried out to the rocks and to the mountains themselves. They asked for the rocks to have a landslide and cover them with rocks. Kill them and cover them. That's how 
dreaded what they were seeing was. They wanted mountains to crumble, kill them, and cover them up to where they couldn't be seen by someone whose eyes were as a flame of fire. The Christ they have rejected has now come to be their judge. Let me tell you something about the comings of Jesus real quick before we get back into this revival thing. There are several comings of Jesus. There's not just the first advent and the second advent. In fact, the second advent is made up of two events. The first advent was Jesus coming to the earth as a baby in Bethlehem. The second coming is when He stands upon Mount Olive. And according to the book of Revelation, we come back with Him. For the armies of heaven are following Him. He's on a white horse. He has a name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And the armies of heaven follow Him. And it didn't designate them as angels. It said they were all clothed in white linen. And the Bible said in the book of Revelation that white linen is the righteousness of the saints. It's not just what angels wear. It's what we put on. It's called the robe of righteousness. Who are these? These are those who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb out of every kindred, tongue, and nation. There's a coming where every eye shall see Him. The second coming. Every eye shall see Him. Every tongue will confess that He is Lord. And the Bible said when they see Him, the whole world, the fallen world that's in the tribulation period, they will mourn because of Him. They won't be glad to see Him because His eyes... When he comes to judge, is a flame of fire. So if you think the doe-eyed Jesus that rode the donkey into Jerusalem and let them put him on a cross is the same one that's coming, you got it all wrong. He'll never be spit on by man. He will never be nailed to a tree. Amen. The devil won't be able to touch him and the kings of the earth will bow before him. And the whole world will mourn and because he's coming to judge and not to save in that coming. The Bible said that men, rich and poor, the mighty men of the earth and the least of men of the earth, they will all have the same cry. They will say to rocks and mountains, fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who sits upon the throne. Didn't the Bible say it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God? Why is it fearful? Because if you meet Him as your judge and not as your Savior, it's going to be the most horrifying thing that you could imagine. He can't give you mercy when you've rejected His Son. He can't pardon your sin when you will not confess your sin. And it's a fearful thing. And Paul was motivated. He knew what was going to happen by the Word of God and by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he said, therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. So somewhere in his message was something that caused people to tremble at the thought of being lost without God and having to stand before Him. When Paul went down and was put in prison. Felix, the governor, was used to being paid bribes to let people out of jail. So he called for Paul, expecting to receive something from him, expecting to be offered a bribe, but instead Paul preached to him. 
And he opened the door for it because he said to, to really mask the real reason he called him. He said, I would hear of thee concerning your faith. This new faith, this Jesus. I, I want to hear what you have to say. And all the time he's thinking he's going to reach in his pocket. He's going to come up. We're going to have a little transaction. And I'm going to let him loose. And I'm going to put that in my pocket. Instead, the Bible said Paul preached to him. And what was in the message? I'm glad that you asked. Amen. You can tell what was in the message by what happened when Felix heard it. It said, and he reasoned, after Paul got through, he reasoned of righteousness and temperance. He preached how to get right with God, the need to get right with God, the only way to be right with God. And he preached about temperance. You know what temperance is? It's self-control. You can't be right with God if you're going to just indulge your flesh and do every little thing your, your fleshly desires prompt you to do. He reasoned of righteousness and temperance. And I'm going to tell you something. There's a revival of preach, preaching righteousness is going to come back. Amen. Uh, it's got to come back. There can't be a revival unless we get right with God. And we're not going to get right with God unless somebody holds a righteous standard and said, This is the way. Walk ye in it. Can you say amen? How many know we need a revival of righteousness? And of our roach, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of how much? Out of them all. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Revive us, oh God. Restore righteousness. That man down in that ditch was getting right with God. And that's what right, there's a positional when you get saved. There's a practical and personal after you get saved. You don't just get right with God by getting your sins forgiven. You get right with God by when you walk out of here, choosing the right path. Let him that steal, continue to steal because you're right with God whether you steal or not. No, let him that steal, steal no more. That doesn't mean salvation by works. That means when you get saved, God changes your heart. And the thief isn't a thief anymore. And the drunk isn't a drunk anymore if he really gets saved. I'm not talking about going to church and listening to a preacher. guy came to me when I was in Sulphur Springs and he said, I want money for a sandwich. I haven't eaten in two days. And there was a Dairy Queen right down the street from the Holy Church of God in Sulphur Springs. And I said, I said, sir, before I give you this sandwich, do you know Christ is your Savior? He said, oh, yes. He said, I, I've, I've been saved 15 or 20 times. He said, because I hear the gospel, if I need a cot for the night, someone says, if I'll come to chapel and let them preach, then they'll give me a meal and a cot for the night, because they're, they're, they're saving people. And so he said, I always get saved at the end of the service. I've been saved 15, 20 times at least. That was just, you know. But he never got right with God. He never met the Lord. Just went through the motions. It's not just people on the street, honey. 
There are people that go to church because their parents go to that church and because they think they might, you know, it's kind of like a little superstitious thing. If I uh, Have you ever prayed this prayer? Lord, if you get me out of this mess, I'll go to church. Come on, time to fess up. Amen. you got to do more than go to church. Come on, you got to come to Christ. I'm kind of glad that my daughter-in-law didn't just go to church somewhere. Just start going to church. I'm glad I got a call that she came to Christ. I said, do you understand baptism? She said, I was baptized at 14. I know what it means, but I, I, I didn't follow through. You know what I'm saying? I didn't follow through. I want to be baptized again. See, this time she's saying what somebody had already said. So many Christians have been inoculated with such a mild form of Christianity. It's rendered them immune to the real thing. Some people don't even know what the real thing is. The re- Listen, if you can encounter God and walk away as if it hadn't occurred, you did not encounter God. Can you say man? But if you really have a God encounter, it is life changing. It is life changing. It is life changing. Can you say man? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And when a man's down in the ditch confessing his sin and asking God to forgiveness because somebody's interceding somewhere for revival in the land, God is moving. He had a God encounter. And we need a God encounter back in the church of Jesus Christ and back in the world and back in the nation, back in their homes. Glory to God. How many remember when you got saved? Did you have an encounter with God? Did you just go to church, join the church, get baptized in water, sign the book? Or did you have some kind of life-changing event? Everybody's experience is different and subjective. But you have to encounter God. Because Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'm coming in. And I'll sup with him and he'll sup with me. Hallelujah. A revival of righteousness in the, in the Hesperides in Wales. It began to happen. They called for a minister. They realized we need someone to come and preach. The church didn't have a minister. They usually had a 45 minute little service and someone you know, spoke a little bit and They went home, unchanged, nothing happening. But now a revival is on that came through intercession. And so the guy got delayed. He's coming by horse and buggy, and he gets there. And it's after 10 o'clock at night, and with no businesses open and no street lights, and a little community town is shut down at 5 p.m. or dark. The church is over, and he said, so there was someone there to meet him, waiting on him to get there. And he said, well, he said, uh, you're going to stay with us. We've got a room prepared for you, sir. And he, and he said, okay, uh, uh, tomorrow night we'll begin the service. He says, no. He said, no, you're not ready for tomorrow night? He said, no, they're there now. They're waiting. It's 10 o'clock at night and they're waiting. They're hungry. God is moving. Amen. Someone said, if the church catches on fire, the whole community will watch it burn. Amen? Amen. They will. 
Amen. Fire. You get the, everybody watches a house burn. Well, look at that. That house is burning down. Lord have mercy. Can you say amen? But let us catch a spiritual fire. Amen. It'll move people to see people moved by the Spirit of God. It'll move you. If God moves you, it will move somebody that sees God moving you. Praise God. And they were waiting for Him. And he couldn't believe it because he had come out of an area where there was a lot of churches but no revival. And he came into an area where there wasn't many churches but there was a move of God. There was a revival. And so they took him to the church and he preached till after midnight. I believe the Bible said it's a man after Brother Venable's own heart. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It'll pull it out of you if people are hungry and thirsty for what? What are they hungry and thirsty for? You know, we're Pentecostal. We have, we have the gifts of the Spirit. We've been exposed to the power and presence of God. But I'm going to tell you something right now. Something fresh is brewing. Something is cooking. Hallelujah. Everybody say, you smell that? Glory be to God. God is, listen, something's cooking. Something is cooking. I don't know if you've got spiritual sensitivity enough to recognize it, but something is cooking. Something is moving. How do you know, Brother Venable? I know because God is a prayer answering God. And He's already set a precedent for answering prayer. It won't be a new thing. It'll be something that is a continuation of what He's always been so very good at. Can you say man? Glory to God. A revisiting of the mightiness and the graciousness and the goodness of a holy God that says, call on me and I will show you great and mighty things that thou knowest not. How Hallelujah. I'm going to show you things you never dreamed of. You never thought of. Because I am able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you think or ask according to the power that worketh in you. Charles Finney, the great revivalist of old. Charles Finney said very clearly... One of the misunderstandings about revival and the misquotes. People get together to pray revival down. Indicating God has it and we got to persuade Him. It's nothing to do with us. God's got it and if He would just turn it loose, if He would just send it, we could have revival. Well, if it's according to the power that worketh in us that he's able to do these things, God don't have it. We got it. Christ is in you. Christ is in me. The Father's in you. And the Father's in me. The Holy Spirit is in you. And the Holy Spirit is in me. And he hath made us collectively not just us preachers us evangelists us prophets he has made us as his children kings and priests unto god spiritually he said when you pray you have the authority of a spiritual priest and spiritually when you bind and when you loose you have the spiritual authority of a king 
to carry out my will, to carry out my purposes. Can you say amen? Behold, Jesus said, I give you power. I give you power. I give you power over most of the power of the devil. No. All the power. All of it. The whole of it. Everything hell has and all the minions that follow him and the fallen angels and the demons. I give you. I have it to give. Because all power is given me over heaven and over earth. And behold... I give unto you power over all the power of the enemy. Can you say man? So where's the power? Where's all this power? Where's all this power? It's invested in you. It's invested in me. And that's why the devil wants you and me to live defeated and defrauded of what is rightfully ours in Jesus Christ because the world is never going to have a manifestation of God until the church gets a manifestation of God. Amen. Where are the Elijahs of God? Leonard Ravenhill wrote in his book, Why Revival Tarries, this great British revivalist, where... Not where's, where's the God of Elijah. He hasn't changed. He's the Lord God of Israel. He changes not. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the question isn't where is the Lord God of Elijah. The question is where are the Elijahs of God? Where are those that will believe Him? Where are those that will prove Him? Can you say, man? It wasn't enough to get the mantle. Elijah wasn't, Elisha wasn't satisfied with Elijah's mantle. By the way, God takes men. He don't take mantles. He wants someone anointed. He wants someone anointed. He always has somebody he anoints. Can you say amen for his purposes and for the good of his people? He took Elijah, but the mantle, his mantle, it was symbolic of the anointing that was on him. And what did Elijah want? What did Elisha want? He wanted nothing less than... He didn't even want what Elijah had. He said, I want a double portion of the anointing. And Elijah told him, said, well then you're going to have to be a... You're in, in essence a double portion seeker. You know? <laughs> the Lord's going to take me up. I don't know when He's coming, but He's coming. And if you're with me when it occurs, then that prayer can be answered, but you're going to have to be with me. Amen. And I can just, I can just see my, my wife, my wife loves our dog. I started to say more than me. How about as much as me? <laughs> Let's put it there. She loved that dog. We came here one Sunday morning as a homeless man living in a shack back in the woods. Found a dog in the woods, flea-bitten, emaciated, six-week-old puppy. Stood outside the door till church was over. When we come out, he held that puppy up to us. And boy, my wife saw that puppy. Hey, man, that puppy looking up. Homeless guy said, I can't feed him and feed myself. Does anybody at the church want him? My wife scooped him up. I was in my pickup truck. She was in the car. He rode in her lap all the way home. He's listening to her heartbeat. 
She got him home, put him in the sink, and he thought she was drowning him. (laughs) He'd never had a bath. Amen. He cried, Lord, he cried. Got all the fleas off of him. I'm going to tell you, amen, that dog loves us. He loves us. If my wife walks to the kitchen, we got, the, we got that pergo floor, you know, that, that, he, I hear click, 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 click. Click, 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 click. You hear his little feet, click, 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 click. She walks three feet, he walks three feet, just to see where she's going. He knows where she goes in the morning. A room to sit down and where there's sunlight coming in to have breakfast and in that room. And so he knows when she starts making her tea, you got her drinking tea. Amen. That British, you may, get, may live in America, but tea time is still tea time. <laughs> See, he, he precedes her. He gets under the chair where she's going to sit, and he's already ready to lay right there. He wants to be that close to her. He sticks with her. And you can see Elijah. Elisha knows something. Elijah knows it too. If God will take the man, but he will not take the mantle. There's going to be somebody on this earth that's anointed of God. God wants that anointing to be here. He wants it in the earth. He wants it in full operation. Can you say man? So that you didn't just get an appointing to ministry back in the, that day. Or any day really. You're supposed to get an anointing for that ministry. And it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. Amen. My grandmother, my, my grandpa was passing on my wife's side. I claimed him as mine to Corbin Hall. He was drunk coming home from the mines. Swerved over the center line, a car coming, took his arm off. He didn't even know it was gone until he tried to open his door and realized his arm was gone. They stopped the bleeding, saved his life, but he had one arm. But boy, did he praise God with that one arm. Hallelujah. Reverend Corbin C.W. Hall, my daddy's pastor in Middlesbrough, Kentucky. Hallelujah. Corbin Hall, they moved down here. When he got ready to go home, when he was passing, I used to go in and lay my head on his chest and pray with him. And, and you could just feel the hovering of angels and the love of God and the presence of God. Amen. Six weeks after he went home, I was preaching in a little country church and my wife's grandmother, his wife was there. And I got through preaching and she come. You know how it is when God gets a hold of you. She had her eyes right on me. She come through all the people were rejoicing and having a good time in the Lord. She comes straight to me. And, and, and she got up to me and tried to talk and couldn't. But have you heard of stammering lips? With stammering lips, I will speak to this people. You know, her lips, she just... And then finally she was able to speak and she said, she said, she said, Bobby, I believe that Corbin's mantle has fallen on you. And I thought, God, if you want me, I want, I want to be your preacher more than I want anything in my entire life. I want to see souls saved. I want to see Christians inspired. I want to see a revival in my generation. Oh, Lord, I receive it. If it's true, I receive it. Then after years and after falling away, I was able in a Wednesday night service, I preached on the the power of the blood of Jesus and the grace that it provided. And I saw my uncle, 
who's sitting on the back row rededicate his life to Christ after falling about as far as you could fall, but he came back to Jesus. Amen. Took him to a full gospel businessmen's meeting a few weeks later, and after the meeting came out, we were getting ready to get in the car, and he said, Bobby, he said, treasure the anointing. Don't let anything become more important in your life than the anointing that God has placed upon you. And he said, Bobby, I don't know if I'll ever preach again, but I believe my mantle is falling on you. And with tears dripping on the hood of that car. And I received it. Because God takes men, but He doesn't take mantles. Mantles stay in the earth. And somebody qualifies for that mantle. And Elisha asked for a double portion of the anointing. And Elijah said, if you're with me, when he takes me, I know he's coming for me. You can have it. They're going along. And Elijah says, just stay right here. I'm going across the river and take care of... Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Oh, no, you're not. Not without me. What if it happens? What, you're over there and I'm over here? If you go over there, I'm going over there. And one day he was with him just like that. He was with him when a pillar of fire... Forget the chariot for a minute. It started with a pillar of fire that separated him. God had to pry Elisha off of Elijah before he could get him in the chariot and take him up. Didn't he? He separated him from him. He stuck like Velcro. He stuck like super glue. He said, I, 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 oh man, when you get that tenacity, when you want God that bad, when you want a move of God that bad, God is going to respond to you. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I want to, I want to finish with this. Elisha got the mantle. But you see, having an anointing, And proving God and believing God is two different things. He took that mantle and he walked up to the river. Was going to cross to the other side. And he took the mantle and smote the water. Boom! The mantle was his outer garment that that when he went up, he took it off and let it fly. And Elisha grabbed hold of that. And he, he said, it's, 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 I don't, I've seen what you did because of Elijah's faith in you and the anointing on him to be a prophet, but I haven't proved you for myself. And he took that mantle and he hit the water with that mantle. And he said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Can you say, man, and the river parted. Stood up. And he walked across on dry ground and said, oh, yeah. There it is. 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 And that's why Leonard Ravenhill said God is still a water parting God, a supernatural God. Where is the God of Elijah is not the question we should be asking. The question we should be asking is where are the Elijahs of God? If you are satisfied with a cut and dried church service that's well timed so you can get in the mall and go to eat and get in the theater, amen, that has 
has a choir that sings, but everything is timely. You get your little religious fix, but God isn't moving. Miracles are not occurring. You're not even convicted about your own sin. You say, man, you walk out unchallenged, you walk out unchanged, and you're happy to have it that way. You'll never see a Holy Ghost visitation. You will never see the miracles in your life. You will never see a Holy Ghost revival. But if you are hungry for righteousness, can you say, man, hallelujah, what is the issue? I'm Pentecostal from my head to my foot and all in between. But I'm going to tell you something. When I see, amen, filled, I think of power. Amen. But the Scripture is this. Let's get it right today. Hallelujah. Blessed are they who hungers and thirst for righteousness. What are they hungry for? Are they hungry to fall out? Are they hungry to get prophesied over? Are they hungry to have a spiritual dream? No, they are hungry to be right with God. They're hungry for righteousness. I want to be right with God more than I want to sing or shout or run or anything else because if I'm right with God, God is for me. And if God is for me, who can be against me? Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What will you be filled with? You're going to be filled with what you're hungry for. But the good news is, get right with God and then call on Him. Call on Him. And then call on me. And I'll show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But God delivereth him out of them all. Hallelujah. There's nothing wrong but getting right with God. I want to get that guy a sandwich. So we're standing there. He said, I've been saved about 20 times, preacher. I said, you really going to buy a sandwich with this? There's a Dairy Queen sells Cuban sandwiches right, right there. I could point it, point it out. He said, yeah. I said, okay, let's pray. I grabbed him by the hand. And I said, Lord, if this man is going to buy wine or alcoholic beverages instead of food. I had that dollar, five dollars in my hand. I said, Lord, I pray that he will get sicker than he's ever been in his life. And he was an honest guy. He spoke up before I could finish. He said, don't pray that. He was honest. He was honest. I passed a guy beside the road. Another honest guy was holding up a cardboard sign and said, ain't going to lie, I need a beer. Amen. You seen that? It wasn't you, was it? Oh, okay, just Just checking. I have to check things out. Sometimes we've got to get honest to be right with God. And I said, oh Lord, visit us again. The Holy Church of God was founded on a move of the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't wildfire. It was the genuine thing. Let me finish with this. Water's getting there. We can, it's ready to go. Boy, I've been stalling and stalling. That's the way I stall. Can you say, man? Hallelujah. 
Elisha has a double portion of the anointing. Some scholars have said that if you look at the miracles that were wrought in the life of Elijah, they were doubled in Elisha. I know one thing. There was such a double portion anointing on him, it had got into his bones and his marrow. When he died, they took him and they put him in one of those big urns. They let the body deteriorate and then they would bury the bones in a small box. That's what tombs and urns were for. I understand. Thank you for coming. God bless you. Amen. We're almost done and thank the Lord. Thank the Lord for what He's done, what He's doing. And we're going to pray for a full recovery. Thank God. He had every reason to not even be here, but He came and we commend you. We're almost done here anyway. Thank God for staying this long. Hallelujah. And they were going to put His body in this big clay urn. And this guy that had died, Elijah's bones were in there. <laughs> and when they took the dead man and dropped him, they just dropped him in because the Philistines come over the hill. And they run off. Threw him over in that urn. And the dead man hit the bones of the dead prophet. If you think mantles don't stay here. If you think the anointing don't permeate bones and even fabric. Now these crazy people selling water uh, on TV... You know, miracle water. You get the anointing flowing. You don't get the... Oh, my Lord. But Paul did say, when I preach under the anointing, now don't come cutting my coat up unless God tells me something, you know. <laughs> but if it would help you, I'd go ahead and cut it up. Just give me another one. Can you say amen? There was anointing in the cloth. The anointing on the man was so powerful and permeating, it got in the cloth of the clothes. And he took his garment and cut it into pieces and sold it for a $10 donation. No, he didn't sell it for nothing because it ain't for sale at any price. It's bought by the blood of Jesus. It's brought by the Holy Spirit. You can't market the anointing. That sacrilege, virgin on blasphemy. It's being done on television today. But holy men don't charge for what they know comes freely through the blood of Jesus. It's bought and paid for. Your healing was bought and paid for at the cross. You couldn't buy it if you were a billionaire. Trump can't buy healing, but you can receive it from Jesus. Can you say amen? It was in his garment, and he sent it to the sick. And they were healed. And they were healed. And he has a problem. He has a servant. See, God takes men, but He don't take mantles. He had a servant. Gehazi was the servant of Elisha. And he knew that God takes men, but He don't take mantles. Because he was servant to a man who'd received a mantle. And when the Assyrian captain that had leprosy came down and knocked on Elisha's door, the prophet's door, He sent his servant to the door. And that really put off this captain that had been treated with respect. By the way, when you get leprosy, they won't touch you with a ten-foot pole. But it was beneath him. Because his servant, a Jewish girl, said, there's a prophet in Israel. 
that can call upon the God of Israel and you can be healed of that incurable disease. So he headed for Israel. And he met that prophet's servant. <laughs> and the servant told him, said, my master said to tell you to go and dip seven times in Jordan. You know the story. He said, are not there more honorable rivers? God always deals with the sin of pride. You can't get, you know... <laughs> More honorable rivers back where I come from. Can I go to one of those rivers? No, you've got to go to that river if you want to be healed. And he did it. And he dipped seven times. When he came up, his skin was like a baby's. And he was grateful. And he had brought what you always bring. If there ain't, See, grace and mercy. No, you've got to buy this stuff. He brought garments and offerings a load of it to give to anyone could get him healed and he offered it and Elijah's, Elijah said no 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 see he didn't want you to think that you can buy and purchase with silver and gold for we were not redeemed with something that can be corrupted like silver and gold but with the precious blood of the Lamb but Gehazi thought, that's foolish. If he don't want it, if he don't want it, I do. And he ran and caught him and said, my master's changed his mind. And he said, well, I'm glad to give it. I'm so grateful. Look what has happened to me. Bless him. He took it home and he hid it for himself. And God revealed it to Elisha. And here's what he said, and I want, to, I want to say this about the need for a reformation and revival in America. Is this such a time when you're in line for the mantle and the nation's in need for revival? Is this such a time to go after gold and apparel? That question needs to be put before every pulpit in America and to every preacher in America. Is this such a time? Is this such a time to go after gold and apparel when so many people are going to hell? Is the message from the Holy Spirit to the church? Tell them how to get rich. Tell them how to live in opulence here. No, the message is tell them how to be right with me. And then tell them to call on me so that I can move and heal their land. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. And then the judgment fell. The judgment fell. The and Elisha told Gehazi the leprosy that was clinging to Naaman is now going to cling to you. Can you say, man, in the judgment? Where does judgment begin? Where does it start? doesn't start in the whorehouse. It doesn't start in the gambling casino. It starts in the church because we have the light. We have the truth. And we are held accountable and responsible. I want to be right with God, Brother Hobbs. I've never got to a point that I didn't feel the need to get down before God and let Him search me and while I search myself. In fact, I don't trust myself to search myself. I want to say with David, search me, O Lord. 
you turn your light on me. And if there's something here that I need to deal with, show it to me so I can deal with it because I want to be right with you. Hallelujah. Some people may never forgive you because they just don't want to forgive you and you can't make them forgive you. But if God forgives you, you need to just forget about it. Go on with your life. Pull your chair up to his table. Hallelujah. He prepared your table in the presence of your enemies. <laughs> they hate to see you eating and having a good time. Can you say man? They really hate to see you with any joy. Let me close with this psalm. Psalm 85 says, Thou, Lord, Thou hast been favorable to, th- to Thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin. Salah. Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God, of our salvation and cause thine anger to us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? Can you say, man, that thy people might what? Go around with a long face, beat up, battered, beleaguered, and beat down? No, that thy people might rejoice in thee. The result of a... Getting right with God is a heart of joy, a heart of thanksgiving, a heart of praise. Hallelujah. Turn us, O God. You know what Finney prayed and Whitfield prayed? In their prayers of intercession, bend us. Bend us, O God. Why were they saying bend us? Help us. To lean toward you and not lean toward the flesh and not lean toward the world and not lean toward our selfish desires. Help us to lean always toward you. Bend us, O God. Bend us. And when you are like clay in His hands, He will bend you. You'll have a bent toward righteousness. Can you say, man, you'll have a struggle with your flesh all your life, but you'll win that battle because God will help you to win it. And it can be conquered. And it's not just conquered by never having a faltering. It's conquered by always getting up and confessing and going on. How many can get up and confess and go on? If that's victory, then I got it. And I'm going to keep it. Can you say amen? And that is victory. Because everybody that's got victory at some point fell down and had to get up and get right and go on with God. Hallelujah. Because if we say we have no sin, we're lying to God, to ourselves, and to others. But if we confess our sin, Brother Hobbs, He's faithful and He's just. He's just in forgiving us. Because Jesus has taken our punishment so we can be forgiven and pardoned. Hallelujah. How many again want to see a real revival? Look at the result of it. (laughs) The result of it is so clear. It's so wonderful. Wilt thou not revive us again? Joy and laughter and singing are signs of a revived people. No wonder the psalmist exclaimed when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. We were like those who dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Psalm 126, verse 1 and 2. When God turned, turn us, O Lord. When God turned again the captivity of Zion. 
the sighing turned to singing. He gave us beauty for ashes. The cities lay in ashes. God began to rebuild through them. The oil of joy for mourning and the garment of praise for that old spirit of heaviness. Can you say man? So if God gets a hold of you and revives you, you're going to have to cast that thing off. Can you say man? Look inside the label. It says P-O-M. Poor old me. Can you say man? You can't wear that anymore because it ain't poor old you. It saved you, sanctified you, blessed you. Hallelujah. Highly favored and well defended. Look at somebody and say, you're highly favored. And well defended. Can you say man? <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, before the water gets cold, will you stand to your feet today? If you want to stay and come out back, you can to witness this. If you have to go, I'm glad you stayed this long. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. How many glad you came to God's house today? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. How many believes more than just us need to hear this message? How many believe that there are people that love God and have never experienced His presence? Never known what God can do? They're not lamenting like the psalmist in Psalm 85 on how it used to be. They're not lamenting like the woman who used to go to concerts and be lifted up in the presence of God and not just be entertained and say, will we ever, where did it all go? Well, it's available. I don't want it to go anywhere. I want it to happen right here in me and in you today. Hallelujah. How many want that mantle that God has for you for whatever purpose he has for you? Hallelujah to fall upon you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, Lord, if I have two mantles that have been granted me, if that was a prophetic word, Lord, show thyself strong to heal and to deliver, to save and to set free. Break every chain that is bound. Those break, Open the prison house of darkness of those people that are bound therein in the name of Jesus Christ. For this, this gospel did not come in word only. It never came in word only. It was never meant to be preached in word as powerful and profound as the word is. It did not come in word only, but it came in power. It came in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. Can you say, man? Hallelujah. 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 Visit us again. Save our children. Save our children. Surprise us. Amaze us with answers to prayer. Hallelujah. 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 For the glory of God. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Show us how to reach more and more people in this city for you, Father. For we're not going to sit here and die. I will not do that, and I will not subject you to that. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 Glory to the Lord. Glory to the Lord. Father, we praise you. We just thank you today. We honor you. Hallelujah. We're getting ready to baptize believers today. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. Amen. I believe that's appropriate. Something sweet to quit off on. 
How many when you leave here, you want to just go on with God? You just want to keep, you don't want to go back, not even a smidgen, not even a step back. You want to take a step forward and go forward with the Lord. Find time to seek Him. Make time to pray. Hallelujah. Pray for me and for all saints that utterance may be given unto me. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Let's just lift our hand. Give Him a praise.